Welcome to episode four of Philosophy During the Coronavirus. I'm Mike Austin, professor of philosophy at Eastern Kentucky University. Today, we'll look at the vice of sloth. In this episode, we're going to look at a chapter by a philosopher from Calvin College, or now Calvin University, Rebecca Conendike de Young, called Sloth, Some Historical Reflections on Laziness, Effort, and Resistance to the Demands of Love. She points out that sloth is not mere laziness. In our day, it's thought to be that, and maybe also inactivity or inertia, but traditionally that's not how sloth was defined. In this chapter, DeYoung will retrieve the definition from the tradition, primarily Christian, and show that at its core, sloth has a lot more to do with being lazy about love than it does being lazy about our work. Traditionally then, sloth was thought to have both inner and outer manifestations linked to one's religious commitments. The Desert Fathers, an ancient group of Christians who fled to to the desert to seek out monastic contemplative lives or lives, Um, They thought sloth was one of the capital vices. A capital vice means that they produce other vices. For these monastics, sloth was a serious vice. It could prevent them from fulfilling their spiritual calling. As a vice for the monk, it works to prevent him from doing that, from forming his spiritual identity and calling. It also involves an inner resistance and a coldness toward one's spiritual vocation and practices that embody and sustain it. So sloth might prevent the monk from doing the work of contemplative prayer, or fasting, or meditation, or of doing the manual labor that's part of the monastic life. One remedy for sloth, then, is manual labor. Right? So it's something you can do to undermine the vice of sloth, is just do manual labor. But again, it's not just laziness. It can also manifest itself as busyness, as restlessness, or even as a form of escapism. I think we see that now in our own situation with the coronavirus, right? We all feel probably restless. We'd like to escape this, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to escape this. But we want to live in reality as it comes to us. And so one answer um, to fight back, I guess, against the restlessness is to uh, look at some of the virtues that might be a remedy for sloth, and we'll look at that later. But for now... It's enough to note that sloth manifests itself in these ways. As um, DeYoung puts it in the chapter, for Blaise Pascal, a French philosopher, as for the earlier Christian tradition, these diversions and distractions are what we fill our minds and lives with to avoid facing the truth regarding who we are and what we are called to be in relationship with God. The external symptoms, laziness and lack of effort, or even a restless activity, share a common root in one's inner restlessness and discontent. Now, when committed to God, the monk can enjoy genuine rest and peace rather than laziness. The monk can also engage in the focused and sustained work that fosters a deeper relationship with God rather than the restless activity of sloth. So if we look a little bit in the history of this vice, we can see... Uh, that sloth became secularized over the centuries. The relationship between it and the inner spiritual commitment was severed. This left the outer aspect, outer aspect, laziness and lack of effort, as the primary understanding of this vice. 
At the same time, work became spiritualized. Career replaced religion as the substance of one's identity and even source of meaning in life for many people. Then, all of the descriptions of sloth related to the work of those with religious callings were wrongly interpreted and applied to all work. This has led to two ironic results. First, in these days, our morally ideal person who works hard, diligently and industriously, is, according to the tradition, exhibiting the vice of sloth. This is because if that work is rooted in pride, which in the tradition has to do with self-love and a desire for control over our lives, then we're not depending on God or acknowledging God as God. And so the hard worker who's trying to be independent and self-sufficient is in some ways exhibiting aspects of the vice of sloth. Second, ironic result, Religious activity can become another form of escapism and diversionary tactics described above by Pascal. A person can be very involved in their church, for example, as a way of avoiding an authentic relationship with God. One can be on several committees, active in several different groups, work at raising money, but not really do so out of a love for God or make much progress in loving God and other people. Worship also becomes self-centered in this way as a form of entertainment. So worship's not supposed to be escape or diversion, right? It's supposed to be a way of engaging with God um, as a community. Now what's important that we'll emphasize here is the connection between sloth and love. For Aquinas, sloth is opposed to the theological virtue of charity. Uh, the Greek word agape often translated love. More specifically, it is opposed to love of God. Love for God, or friendship with God, is our highest good as human beings. It's the substance of human fulfillment for Aquinas. But sloth is resistant to that. It's resistant to the transformation that God's love can work in us. In particular, the painful renunciation of the old self, right? our willingness to let old habits and attachments die and be made new. De Young talks about sloth in contemporary life and spends some time discussing the example of Phil Connors in Groundhog Day, played by Bill Murray. In the movie, he can't love anyone but himself, including Rita, with whom he's trying to have a relationship. Once he actually tries to change his character, to move away from prideful self-love, he becomes selfless. And then, his change of heart enables him not only to love Rita, but to win her love. Sloth, then, prefers the easy and selfish way out. By contrast, love endures, and it prefers a commitment to the good of others and to the transformation offered in friendship with God. The tradition, then, teaches us about the kind of work that must be done for love in our relationship with others, both human and divine. It also teaches us about the nature of true rest. All of these things, then, at least according to Aquinas, are essential to our moral and spiritual transformation. One last important thing to note here. Sloth is not exemplified necessarily by relaxing, right? You can relax, you can kick back, you can enjoy life. The point is that that's not all that we do. And that as we engage in times of rest, um, therefore are good, right? They're not about escaping uh, our real lives or diverting us from what we ought to be focused on, but rather they fit in right? those times of relaxation, a lazy afternoon, for example, 
those times fit into this larger view of our lives, this larger purpose, right? So for, for Aristotelians, right, our relaxation, our times of rest, of recreation, they fit into our flourishing to the contemplative life, as he would say, or at least to a happy flourishing life. For Aquinas, right, if you, from the sort of Christian tradition, um, times of rest and relaxation and refreshment ultimately are part of our relationships with God or our relationship to God, a way to know and love God. So whether the end is human flourishing, union with God, some mixture of those or something else, the important lesson here is that sloth is not mere laziness and that taking it easy at certain points doesn't necessarily exemplify sloth.